Welcome to episode one of the Talking Acoustics podcast. Talking Acoustics looks into the art and science of acoustics as I catch up with some of the people who spend their lives working in this field. I'm Matthew Watley, I work for Marshall Day Acoustics in Sydney, Australia, and I'm interested in anything to do with acoustics. Acoustics is a diverse science, and I'll be talking to a different expert each episode, each with their own speciality. Uh, We'll talk about what they do, how they came to get into a job that many people have never heard of, what they've learned along the way, and what the future holds. In episode one, I have the real pleasure of talking to Peter Noland, one of the original professionals in acoustics in Australia. He started his company PKA Acoustic Consulting in 1968 and has guided the firm through over 10,000 projects in the 49 years since. He's both a fellow and a founding member of the Australian Acoustical Society and helped establish the Association of Australasian Acoustical Consultants. His true passion is for the acoustics of live music and drama performance spaces, and he's been involved with over 120 such projects over his career. Perhaps the most well-known venue being the Sydney Opera House, where a young Peter Noland became the local assistant to Jörn Utzen's appointed acoustician, the Dane, Dr Wilhelm Jordan. I've known Peter for over 20 years, and I worked for him for 11 His accumulated knowledge and experience has endowed him with something of a sixth sense for acoustics. I started off by asking Peter how he explains to people what exactly an acoustic engineer is. Well, I'm not an acoustic engineer. Uh, And and that to me was important in the earlier times because an engineer has a, a beautifully disciplined brain and, and works to set procedures, whereas I was more interested in the emotive part of acoustics, what a hall sounds like, what rooms sound like, and all those things. And you, you could say, well, that's engineering, yes, but at the same time, it's a, you'd call a musician an engineer then. Mm. It's... it's you know, a musician knows what what it has, what he's playing and how he wants it to sound like, and so on. So, I, I guess uh, my approach was more physics, because when I went to school, I was I was very good at physics. I was top of the class, and I, I see it as 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 a physics part of it rather than an engineering part. There, mm. there can be an argument. With the, yeah, it's you an know, overlap, but yeah, overlap. That's right. Difference. Yeah, yeah. So, how then did you get interested in acoustics and get into acoustics? Given that um, they probably didn't have acoustic uh, or acoustician listed as a uh, an occupation in um, <laughs> in the school uh, counsellor's room when you're... you're you're absolutely right. Um, came in an interesting way. It came through my interest in uh, designing speakers, speaker enclosures, and building valve hi-fi amplifiers, because in that period, that was a new magic, high fidelity, incredible magic. And actually, it 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 was quite interesting in designing speaker enclosures and building them and finding out that your theory wasn't terribly good uh, and, and so on. So it, it, it was in my involvement there. And, of course, in a surprising way, the, the, the course I did as a telephone technician turned out to be one of the best courses I've ever, I've ever done in my life because it taught me so much. Well, it, it taught me partly the, the electrical theory, the electronic theory, um, but it taught me about building construction. It taught me about tool making. In other words, it was a very comprehensive education. And I, I have to say, a lot of it uh, was of great benefit to me as an acoustician. So you started out with BMG? Yes. Uh, who are now Telstra, uh, as a communications technician? That's correct. In the 19, the, the, uh, 1950s. Mid, uh, 1950s. Yeah, 1950s. Um, how do you go from uh, communications technician for 
BMG to getting into acoustics when at a time where there really wasn't an acoustics field like or, or was there an acoustics field what was the what was the, uh, the landscape like at that point it's 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 it, it in itself is an interesting story i left the pmg and i went to um electricity commission which in those days it, it started to get modern equipment like like dishes and 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 you know they were they were uh, propagating at uh, 200 meg and, and all that, which was, you know, out of this world. So I went, I went over to um, Electricity Commission. I was a technician there and there was a job coming up um, for a supervising technician and I was the logical one for it. I didn't want it because I'd be in charge of people as old as my father and I, I that was that didn't seem the, the right way for me to go the surprising thing is that the guy behind me the technician behind me that had uh, joined the force six months later or something like that he wanted that job and one uh, one morning he said oh there's, there's an ad in the paper here, look, you might be interested in it. And it was for a, a career in um, acoustics and, and mainly it was for the introduction of attenuators. It was the coppers, coppers, whatever it was, sound something. Um, but they were, they were attenuated, air conditioning attenuators. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, our dear friends, Australian Gypsum, had decided to go into that field. And at the same time, down in Melbourne, was Graham Hardy doing exactly the same thing. So I thought I'd apply for the job and I got it, which was to my surprise, and I'm bundled off to uh, uh, Melbourne and I was given a whole lot of textbooks, Baranic and that, to read, uh, learned how to, to operate a door um, sound level meter and uh, did all those basic things and, and Graham Harding started at the same time um, and then eventually my knowledge in acoustics just kept expanding at an incredible rate. I, I obviously didn't realise I, I liked it mm. and, I, and I was doing a lot of self-study. Um, eventually I was, I was uh, servicing a firm of um, consulting engineers, Norman and Atticote, and Leo uh, Atticote. Norman Disney Young. That's it. Yeah. It became Norman Disney Young. Um, and Leo Atticote was using my services and he said, he approached me and said, how about joining us? And as they say, that's the beginning of the story. <laughs> and then I'd, I'd been with Leo for about... I think five years, and then a, a very lovely fellow, Jim Denny, who was he specialises in grills and all that sort of stuff, air conditioning grills. He said to me, "You, you should be out on your own." That was. He kept on doing that. I, I had no intention. I, I was quite happy at Norman and Echo, mm -hmm. but eventually I uh, I decided to go out, and, and the first surprise was I got a big job. And the firm of architects wouldn't have given it to me while I was in Norman Atticote because that apparently had been a dispute between Leo Atticote and, right. and them. And they, they got that. And then um, a little job called the Opera House came up. And uh, So the Opera House, that came, that came up after you'd started, you'd gone out on your own? Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. And so how did you get involved in that? And what was your original involvement? I know you've been involved with the Opera House over its life almost, but how did you first get involved with that? Well, um, the it, it in itself is quite a, quite a story and it's all to do with what happened after Utzon resigned. Um, you know, it's an argument as to whether he was sacked or resigned, but he resigned mm. 
uh, and I understand a fair bit of the conditions that led up to that. Um, the ABC, Australian Broadcasting Commission, they, they were concerned the way the Opera House was going because you had the original consultant, Dr Willem Jordan, then, then you had Kramer and Gabler. Uh, so you've got two acoustic consultants on the job and the reason you had Kramer and Gabler is because um, Jordan wasn't agreeing with Utzon. Right, and Jordan was the acoustician? Yeah, the original acoustician. The original acoustician, yeah. yeah. So what the ABC was trying to do was influence as to who would be chosen as the acoustic consultant out of the two teams. They went and looked at some of the work and they were more impressed with what Willem Jordan mm. did rather than Kramer and Gabler. Though I would have to say um, Kramer and Gabler's opera house, not concert hall, their opera house was a better design, but it was only a 1,000 seats short of what the competition asked for. See, the hall was supposed to seat 2,800. Mm. And the one that Kramer and Gabler and Woodson came up with was seating 1,800. Mm. So that's, that's significant. And then the ABC had some guns to pull because they said, we own the symphony orchestra and unless you give us good conditions, it's staying in the town hall. Now, originally in the Opera House, the larger of the shells was to be the Opera Theatre. That's right. And the smaller was to be the Concert Hall. No, drama. Drama. And when did that change occur? Was that before you got involved? Um, just before yeah. I became involved. Um, and of which... The ABC played quite a significant part and you had Stan Darling and, and uh, Warwick Mahaffey and to some degree Ken Digby because uh, Warwick was the ABC's acoustic consultant and he was pretty on-the-ball fellow. Yeah. Um, so they had a strong influence as to who was selected as the acoustic consultant and Jordan was accepted. I'd, I'd spent some time before... Um, I think the whole lot of us, Stan Darling, Warwick, Willem, we all went off on a trip and we took him down to Canberra and showed him. Anyway, the result of that is that when Jordan got the, the, uh, the project, he then asked me to be his assistant here in Sydney. So I learned a lot from him. I learned a lot about acoustic modelling. He also learned a lot from me as well, which is quite interesting. And when we talk about acoustic modelling, you're not talking about a 3D computer model. You're talking about a physical scale model. One-tenth. One-tenth scale. Yeah. yeah. And, and we were using... Um, and you've got to remember, we're back in 1966-68, so we're limited to the instrumentation that we've got, uh, we were using one tenth. So, in other words, um, if, if you're looking at a thousand hertz in the actual hall, you're looking at ten thousand hertz mm. in the model. We're using Spark as a means of generating the, mm. the gunshot. Okay. Uh, we had to have a special microphone made made for Willem by mm. by Brule and Care. Yeah. Right. Uh, and, and he was a pioneer in, in that sort of modelling. And it was, it's quite interesting. I, I went, in 75, I went to... Um, uh, God, I've got, to try, I've got to try and think. RMIT um, in, in Boston. Mm -hmm. And um, I did an acoustic modelling course. I actually taught them more about acoustic modelling than they taught me. But it was good. It was a good working session because we, we all enjoyed it. Yeah, MIT. Yeah, Massachusetts. Yeah. yeah, Massachusetts yeah. Institute of Technology, MIT. So, Philip uh, Jordan was doing the 
when we say acoustics, he was responsible for the the room acoustics, uh, mechanical acoustics. No, I did sound insulation. I did the mechanical. Yeah, I did. I did the entire mechanical for, for the opera house. Yeah, um, I totally changed the methodology of the air conditioning system. I demonstrated to them because what what happened, Steenson and Varmiga were the uh, consulting engineers, they they had a significant office in in uh, uh, England and, and of course they were influenced by Woods and they were putting axial fans in the opera house. And the Woods argument was um, yes they the, these these axial fans make more noise but they make less noise in the low frequencies which is very hard to attenuate therefore um, putting a centrifugal fan may appear to be quieter but in the end it takes more effort to do it and uh, and I said well that may be right but I can tell you now Axial fans don't like bends on the discharge. They they don't like square bends. You know, you, they, they, you've got to be pampered and all that. So we we had a huge laboratory. And it was I, a, a space-constrained building too. You know, the, the, the shells of the opera house, it, yeah. architecturally, it, it, it crunches all the space. And there's that's not, right. Yeah. You don't have the freedoms that you have in a, in a nice box that you can make. Big building, like. yeah. But anyway, uh, I, I, I conned them into a huge laboratory. Um... We we had a Chicago. Uh, I, I can remember the duty. It's eleven and a half thousand CFM at three and a half inches. Um, that was the duty we put on it. Um, we had a Chicago backward curve centrifugal. We had a Richardson backward curve centrifugal, which is interesting because we accidentally picked the duty that it couldn't do. We had a GW axial and a Woods axial fan, and we actually had a Chicago axial fan but it's a it's a different configuration to the the woods uh, the thing I said about the axial fan not liking a bend on the intake or discharge was proven quite clearly in the lab but what was proven in the lab that the once you put pressure on an axial fan Yes, it has a spectrum that goes down in the low end, whereas a, but it it goes up, and yeah. and you actually have to get, you have to have enormous attenuation. Otherwise, if you if you just had an axial fan and and free flowing and not pretty, much pressure pretty, against pretty, it, yeah, then then what they say is is correct. It's, yeah, but as soon as you load it up, yeah, three and a half inches water gauge, it 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 went out of its brain, mm. and uh, Willem saw that. Steenson and Varming saw that, <laughs> and uh, um, yeah, the axial fan went out the door. Throw out the initial set of drawings and start again, bit of pencil and paper. That's right, yeah. But but it wasn't wasn't all that difficult, and and uh, it was a, a so. In an interesting thing, that's something I brought to the opera house. Yeah, and that's my Norman Nadicote mm. experience. Brought, so talk about a stroke of luck. Yeah, you know, a lot of things. You might know, you might do in life, but you just need the opportunity to do it at the right time. Yeah. Otherwise, it's academic. Yeah. So you got to work on the modelling and the design and, and this building, which took a long time to go from conception to opening. Um, what was it like then, sitting in uh, opening night or the first first concert in the concert hall? Well. In one way, of course, it's exciting because something you've worked on for a long time comes to fruition. There, there, there was an interesting area in the, uh, in the on the main floor where Willem and I didn't agree, and I, you know, I said to him on the vertical walls, I said, Willem, this is going to act as a diffraction grating. No, Peter, don't worry about it. It's not good. Yes, it did. And that's one of the changes being made. This is, is this the sawtooth? Uh, yeah. The, yeah. Down the side of the... Um, yeah. Well, it's, it was a regular pattern. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a formula for a diffraction grading. Yeah. 
Uh, so that's been corrected now. Yeah. Uh, though there's an aesthetic argument over that, which is which is interesting because it involves my associates. I, I, I belong to the um, uh, what are we Phantoms of the Opera House, and uh, uh, they're not happy about the change. Uh, uh, I'm looking at it from an acoustical viewpoint. They've, they've done, look, I've been there for, uh, on behalf of the Opera House r recently and been to some of the trial test concerts. Um, and there are some improvements there, mm. uh, worthwhile improvements. Yep. But there's a couple of improvements. They said, this is what we're going to do. And I said, you're going to get harmonic distortion. If you do that, you're going to get harmonic distortion. They did it. They got harmonic distortion. <laughs> So, what what's your um, totally unbiased opinion of the acoustics in the in the concert hall of the Opera House? Because it's it's a it's a building that architecturally is significantly universally acclaimed, um, uh, and there are differing opinions on the acoustics in the in the concert hall. Um, and and it probably depends on where you sit <laughs> well, as to what, what you get. But what's your what's your take on it? Well, it depends at what stage, because it's gone gone through some variations. And you've been involved with some of those variations along the way, yeah. as well as others. Yeah. Well, one of the variations. Of, okay. To answer answer your first question, it is no longer uh, a, a good concert hall. They've actually made it worse uh, with experiments and fiddly fiddling around. They uh, they got Larry Kierkegaard there, oh, ten years ago, yeah, yeah. and he filled in the donuts. The donuts. Oh well, that just threw the balance out the, uh, on the orchestra and the strings are terrible. That was a backward step, but there was no way that the orchestra would have the, the, the infills taken out. Right, because it, it, gave it might that, have been a backward step for the audience, but, but the orchestra presumably got more energy then coming back down off these yep, overhead yep. reflectors that they effectively had more overhead reflector coverage and they got more feedback and more... That's more, right. That's yeah, what they, they could want. hear the stage. Yeah, however, I, I have heard... The hall at a pretty good st state. I went to a trial concert. Um, this is with the BBM Muller, who are now involved. No, the... no, before them. Oh, before them, yeah. Um, Ado Devart. See, Ado Devart knew what was needed, and which was quite interesting. And he asked for the stage to be tiered, and I went mm. to the Marla Seventh when they tiered the stage, and it made a, quite a difference. And this was in the noughties, right? Uh, no, no, I went out of our tier, tiered. Oh, probably 12 years ago. Yeah. So they did Because it. there was a dramatic improvement when you tiered the, tiered the stage. Well, same thing but, in, in the town hall. Yeah. When, when, we, when we tiered the... Uh, the, the orchestra in the town hall because we there we've got a flat main floor mm. at least the opera house tears up so mm. it's got a bit of an advantage um, but the the Marla seventh sounded very good in the experimental concerts I've been I went to last year or this year um, they've now got the double basses of the chili sounding quite good mm -hmm. and they're using the See, I, I, I suggested whenever it was back 20 years back, using Rostra for the double basses and the cellos. And so they, they've done that, but they've done it as a much larger platform and it makes heap, heap difference. It, it does sound good. Um, they tiered the stage, but... They put the bloody surfboards up, and I said, "You're going to get harmonic distortion if you do that." And they got harmonic distortion. When you say surfboard, are these 
different overhead reflectors. These are reflectors. These are, these are, were they the bigger sort of plywood um, yep. reflectors that they were toying with? Yep, yep. Yeah. And now they're getting harmonic distortion off that? Oh. You don't have to you don't have to be terribly bright to know that. <laughs> but what the interesting thing was, when they showed me what they were proposing, I went to a presentation and I said they, they got what they call the shelves and I said, they will do more than you realise. They you know, they sort of said, Oh, we're just putting some shelves on. Uh, I said, or drawers or whatever it is, eh? And uh, uh, I said, they'll do more than you realise. Yes, they did. I, the orchestra was much happier. I, I did it in Queensland in 19, 1984. At uh, QPAC. QPAC, yeah. yeah. Shilfs. Yeah. Um, so it, the, the Opera House has got a, a, good, a good future, but the thing that's acoustically it's a, that's good it's the town hall, the string sound in the town hall is just so beautiful. Mm. It's so unbelievably beautiful. Particularly when you get a, a, a conductor who was in the orchestra when we did the experiments because they realised the value of pulling the orchestra apart on the, on, mm. in, the town, in the town hall. Uh, but the town hall will ne never go ahead because... Um, you go to the opera house, you've got all those eating facilities, you can have a drink, you've got view of the thing. The, the town hall, pardon me, is there drinks anywhere? Well, it's part of the experience. I mean, the, regardless of what you think technically and where you sit and how the acoustics, there's something about being in the opera house, oh, being in that room, yeah. all, the, all the, the Joan Sutherland theatre. Yeah. That, that experience of being in the space yeah. adds something that's right. and you more, than mere, more than mere acoustics. That's right, yeah, and you don't, you don't get that in the town hall and that's, that's cold reality. But nevertheless, the town hall's up there amongst the top halls of the world. Yeah, what's disappointing is that the, when they close the concert hall for renovations, yeah. instead of going to the, the City Symphony, instead of going to the town hall, are going to the... International Convention Centre. I'm told. Well, it's interesting that you brought that. Would it, in. Would it, would it be nice to uh, have a couple of seasons of the uh, symphony in the town hall? Yet, and yet, it's funny uh, when Ado de Vart finished his um, uh, tour with the with the Sydney Symphony Orchestra. He wanted to do Mahler's third in the town hall. That was going to be one of his final concerts. And, and you could just, you know, at the end of the third, and he just, like that, and then he turns around to, to just hear the decay of the mm. beautiful decay of the mm. hall. Uh, but unfortunately, it was spot because everybody was clapping. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you'd worked on the Opera House. Yeah. Um, you'd started... Started Ed Nolan and Associates in in '68, um, and then in the early '70s you went on a tour of the concert halls, opera houses, and theaters of, of Europe. Of yeah. Europe. Yeah. So, correct me if I'm wrong, but you went England, Denmark, Belgium, Netherlands, Germany, Austria, Switzerland, and Italy. Thereabouts. Yeah, and now I, I went to Italy. What? what that's an, oh, that's that's all right. I went to Naples because uh, the conductor um, oh, forgotten his name. The conductor asked me to come down and have a look at Naples. Yeah. Um, so you'd gone to all these opera houses and concert halls of Europe. Yeah. Worked on the opera house. At that point, what did you take away from that study of that uh, the tour of all these places? What, what were your what was the what were the insights that you gained from that? It answered a question that had troubled me for years. Well, this is Sydney Town Hall. What do the good concert halls sound like? And the answer is not much different to the Sydney Town Hall. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it it was 
because that's that was always the mystery. Well, if this is a Sydney Town Hall, you know, you you sort of yeah. belittled it. Yeah. And you didn't realise it was such a wonderful hall. Yeah. Oh, it had problems because it had the highlights, the sound of the ambulances came in and the yeah. aircraft went over and, you know, it was all this. And, and there was a terrific problem with uh, humidity control. You, you'd, you'd go and uh, I'd go and listen to a, a rehearsal on Friday morning and with the orchestra and I think I'd bring up my friend, oh, it's, the orchestra's sounding fantastic. You come there and the humidity's gone up and it's... <laughs> so, so air conditioning, air conditioning is an essential part of the acoustics okay. of a concert hall. Yeah. It'd be hard-pressed to build one without air conditioning. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I guess a follow-on from that, what makes a great concert hall? It is basically the architecture, the, the, the architecture, the main architecture that controlled these, the, the, the Great Halls was in a 50, 50, 25 year period actually, between about 1870 and 1900, that's when the Great Halls were built. Then we had 66 years desert. And that was broken by Dudulin in Rotterdam. Um, meanwhile, the, the acoustic science of concert hall design had been born and it did more harm than good. Royal Festival Hall, classic example. Um, but eventually, you know, some of us fiddled around the edges and then, and then now, you, now you've got it to the, the point... <laughs> With Dr. Harold Marshall and all those, it's pretty hard. It's pretty hard to design a dud concert hall. But it was a it was a mystery. Nobody really knew what it was, and the trouble was the academics of that time were just doing what I'd call cold science, and they didn't understand what it was. What what was the see in the end. It's, it's the human contact. That's what makes the hall good, how, how it contacts with you, yeah. how you feel emotionally. Yeah. You can't say, well, it's, a, it, it's, it's a, um, LEQ plus one. Mm-hmm. No, it's an emotional thing. It's like, for instance, if you, if you took uh, the Musikverein in, in Vienna, put an exact replica of it here and painted it purple, it'd have terrible acoustics. <laughs> that's what comes into it. So, what what piece of advice then, if you uh, if you were giving advice to someone building a concert hall, what would you, what would you tell them to do? What's the what's the key take home? Oh, <laughs> go to go to Marshall Day. <laughs> mm. uh, so you you and I. I speaking for you here, but it seems like your true passion through acoustics has been about um, live performance spaces. Yeah. Um, and you've been involved with over 120 music and drama performance spaces over your career. Oh, and, and, and lecture theatres, big lecture yeah. theatres, yeah. Now, you don't play an instrument, is it correct? Not, not really. Oh, I, 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 I had an attempt at playing the clarinet. Um, Attempt is the correct word. Um, I've had I've had a, um, a sort of in, inherent ability since I was a kid playing the mouth organ, but that doesn't get you on a concert platform. That Larry Adler did. So. Yeah. Um, but what's the? But you've obviously got a love of music. What's what impact has music had in your life? And I guess oh, significantly, and maybe more focused. What impact has it had in your career? And I mean, obviously, it's affected your career choice yeah. and the type of projects you've pursued. But can you talk about what what music means to you and what it's meant to you? Well, music. To start off with, just just leave the concert halls out of it. Music's an essential, particularly classical music's an essential part of my life. I might say I got that from my father and my mother, and that's probably a reasonable assumption. Um, but I listen to classic 
classical music every day, mm. whether it's just the radio in the car or whether I go and put the hi-fi on um, at Mount V. I, I have classical music in my life every day. Mm. And uh, yes, I'd like to have been a conductor and all those sort of things, but they're, they're dreams we had. Um, now, you founded the, uh, Peter Nolan Associates, which is now PKA Acoustic Consulting, in 68. And in the intervening 50 years, next year, you've, you've worked on over 10,000 projects in that time. Probably right. <laughs> what, uh, what are you most proud of in that body of work? I'm probably both the Concert Hall of the Queensland Cultural Centre and the Lyric Theatre of the uh, Queensland Cultural Centre. Mm -hmm. the, the, the sound out of the pit uh, in Queensland is, is, is great, it's dynamic and, um, and the concert hall. The concert hall is, is terrific. I, I probably made it a bit too reverberant and I think they have pulled it back just slightly. Um, but it has got, well, uh, I'll, if I can find it, I'll, I'll read a statement made. Uh, I haven't got it, but it was by the Deputy Chairman of the London Philharmonic, London Philharmonic Orchestra, and he shouted it out in the foyer of the Queensland Performing Arts Centre at interval, and he said, that is the best performance by the... By the the London, London Imperial Orchestra in the best acoustics they've ever played in, and that was Queensland. Something to be proud of. Yeah, I've, I've got I've got the thing just just then somewhere. I, I, I looking at it the other day, but yeah, they they, and you know it, it was interesting. Um, I, I was in in Cupat in the hall when the Chicago Symphony came there for, for rehearsal because they were giving performances. And I watched their, their, their principal come out, his violin, looked at the hall and you could see in his eyes, oh, are this, this mob serious? And then uh, <laughs> he puts his violin to his chin. It, just the look on his face when he heard the sound coming back from the hall. Yeah. And uh, uh, they, they were very impressed with the hall. So it's it's a you know it's it's a it's a good hall. So from the uh, the dizzy heights of uh, success, just to make the rest of us feel a bit better, can you tell us about a failure? Oh, I've, got, <laughs> I've got several. What happened and uh, what, what did you learn from it? And I got. We've all got a few clangers. It's yeah. the, uh, the best way to learn. No, I've, I've got one I did recently, and uh, yes, I didn't. Because th this is the problem with with the changing over the pills. You know, my my, my brain was pretty tired, and it, and it really has it's, it's lacking enthusiasm that it once had. Uh, but. What, what you're looking for is something in my more active period and, <laughs> and I've made a, uh, made a huge mistake. Matthew, or, or, they're, 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 or, they're, 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 they're too plentiful or there's none there? No, or, or, no, no. Or perhaps, a, perhaps maybe, maybe an aha moment when you've uh, thought something was one way and... Uh, Oh, I've got a few of them. Oh, aha. Uh -huh. uh, I, yeah. I understand that. I didn't understand that now. Yeah, yeah. No, I've got a few of those. And, and uh, uh, for instance, one hall that got me a very good reputation, but it taught me something, was Club Hall at Mittagong. And it was a lovely hall, and, and they, lo they love it. But at that time, I was, I was trying to find out, and I used a bit of the festival hall design 
now I know why Festival Hall doesn't work. And that's why I'm so strong on overhead reflection, because I, I saw what it does. Strong on overhead reflection is yep. you want strong overhead no, or you don't want strong overhead. Don't want strong at yeah. all. And uh, when you hear, you know, when you hear what it does, and and look, you recognise. That's why I'm able to say, as soon as I saw the the surfboards they're going to put, I said you're going to you're going to get harmonic distortion. But you know, it was just as simple as that. Yeah. Because you you don't. And this is this is what uh, the the American acousticians went through. Baranic, uh, Kierkegaard, uh, and all them. They went big on the surfboards and the overhead reflection. Yeah. No. No, get the laterals. You, the, the whole um, issue is embodied in the lateral reflections. Let them come through clearly and then bring, bring the overheads afterwards so, uh, um, so that they, and, and not strong, so that they don't, don't diminish the, the lateral reflections. Yeah. Um, so you want, you want to get strong reflections from the side. Yeah. Coming at the listener rather than coming from overhead. That's right. Yeah. And it's a, uh, it's a, uh, and, and I, you know, I can, well, uh, good examples of, well, um, as I said, Club Hall. Club Hall was lovely. If you had a couple of people on stage, it was a lovely little hall and, and it had a lovely sound. Mm. But as soon as you got more than six performers on stage, then you start to get the compression. And the the hall they, uh, that um, uh, who was it? Branick. Um, uh, no, he, he, uh, Branick sidekick did in uh, Melbourne. The the the, the, the main uh, El, uh, sorry, I can say Elder Hall. Anyway, anyway their their main concert hall. Um, oh, festival hall. Uh, no, Hamer Hall. Hamer. Hamer. Yeah. yeah. Um, it. Oh, it's it. You know, it suffers compression. If the orchestra plays quietly, it's impressive. As soon as they get loud, the sound compresses and it's and it's terrible. Um, that that hall has been changed, and I haven't been to it, but I, I heard some performers on on the ABC saying that they'd just been to Hamer Hall and the, the, they said the the new Hamer Hall was lovely. Oh, it's a Marshall Day project with uh, Larry Kierkegaard. So. Ah, right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, uh, um, we've talked a lot about your architectural acoustics projects, um, but you've also done a lot of projects over the years in environmental uh, acoustics and industrial noise control and building acoustics more broadly. Are there any particular environmental or industrial projects that stand out in your mind as uh, particularly significant? No, there were... There, there's some I can think back on, but they, they, they had significance because overall the profession didn't have a great amount of knowledge. Yeah. Uh, therefore, uh, that seemed to be a miracle at that time. <laughs> <laughs> but later on, you'd go, oh, ho oh, hum, you know, sort of thing. Uh, and I remember we, uh, I, I did a thing at, uh, it was a large steel processing plant at, um, oh, it wasn't Yaguna, but anyway, out there, there, there were, and, and I did a clever trick of, of I had two, there were two shafts, two, two fans, and I, I shot the fan at each other, and actually, I used the treatment in that. In other words, one fan is only operating at the time. Right. So what I did is 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 I shot I shot the noise down down the the shaft that wasn't working. The shaft that wasn't working. Right. Okay. It was very effective. Yep. And and I, I got. I got good experience of, of cancellation because you could get there just where the grating was and there was a lot of air coming through. Mm. It's a big steel factory. Yeah. Um, and the level was, the sound level was high, but you only had to go back a couple of metres and there was cancellation. And it, yeah. It was, it was quite good. I, I think that was more good luck than, <laughs> <laughs> than good management. 
Um, look, there are lots of other things along the way that I, I've done, but the thing, one of the things I, I miss is in, in the, the days when Roger Wilkinson and Jimmy Madden and myself were doing the main work, we solved the problem. Mm. We didn't have any standards. We solved the problem. We found out what was irritating the people and corrected it. And, and sometimes solving the problem was was using masking, putting a cooling tower fan in front of a, a, a terrible pump and all those things. But we solved the problem. Yeah. We did, didn't come up and say, that's an early cue of so-and-so, now get bugger off. <laughs> uh, and I think... You're not working to a number, you're working to... A solution. Solution. That's Eradicating right. a problem. And yeah. and and I think it's, it's far more satisfying. Mm. And and also you. One of the other things you you learn too is is reading that needle. And actually, the surprising thing, both Roger Roger Wilkinson and I, uh, our main determinant for a, for a noise is the L10. Mm-hmm. Roger and I would measure the L10, yeah. and and then what you'd what you'd be doing is eye and ear. You see, the eyes watching this and the ears listening to what's yeah. happening, uh, and it was much more satisfying yeah. in those days. Um, you've been involved in projects all over the world: Borneo, Iran, New Guinea, Singapore, Bangkok, Philippines, France, Malaysia, New Zealand, Vietnam, China. <laughs> You forgot Iran, did you? Iran, did I get? Oh no, I got Iran in there. Yeah, good. Um, did you have any uh, stories of overseas projects, or is acoustics acoustics, no matter where you go? <laughs> now, one of the one of the interesting, uh, I, I, I did what was in those days in the nineteen seventy one was going to be the tallest building in Singapore, the AC, ACBC. Bank, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I think overall I did a very good job, um, air conditioning, noise control. But we, <laughs> we we had an interesting problem where, the, like, the main banking hall was quite high; it was multiple levels high, mm-hmm. and they had a bridge uh, going across, and. I'm just trying to think of the circumstances, but we, what we actually had was magnification. There, there were taxis and all that going outside, but the light would come in, go up to the bridge, would go to the back wall and come up to the bridge, and the bridge only had to to vibrate a minuscule amount, but it magnified. <laughs> <laughs> and so this is a light issue then. It was a light issue, yeah. but as far as the, uh, the chief of the bank was concerned, it was caused by the vibration. Could I do something about the vibration? Oh, right. Yeah. Um, it, it was an eye-opener, I can tell you. And you didn't have a manual in those days. So anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> tell you what to do. Um, now, you were instrumental in the formation of what became the Australian Acoustic Society for individuals practising in acoustics, as well as the establishment of the Association of Australasian Acoustical Consultants, the AAAC, who is the peak body for uh, firms that yeah. practise in acoustic consultancy. Have the roles of these organisations changed over the years? And do you have any advice for the people that now run those groups? Well. The Acoustic Society, um, let's face it, when it first started, it was a wine and food society. (laughs) And we didn't complain. An excuse to meet for a uh, quiet drink. (laughs) Well, I I think it it helped propel the thing along quite well. Yeah. Um, And, uh, yes, and and look, look, the society is continuing on. Um, you look at how much money it's earned and what it's been able to do. Uh, I think the, I think the society's good. 
that the AAAC, I'm a little disappointed because what some of the initial members were scared of has happened. It's, it's, it's dominated by multidiscipline mm. and, and firms all over the place. And it's not the intention of the original members, but like all things, if that's the way things want to go, that's what happens. I, I know there are some members are unhappy about it, even to the point of suggesting they have a second AAAC for small <laughs> firms. Do you think uh, the issue there is that the multidisciplinaries aren't as uh, passionate or driving the, the AAAC in the way that smaller firms would? Is that the issue, or what, what's the what's the downside of the multidisciplinaries? Well, I think for the little firms, they feel they feel um, squashed. Mm. If I use that word, and I think you're right. It's it's they they don't have the passion um, that that the smaller firms may have. Uh, and, and let's face it, the, the big multidisciplines, they're all, uh, that's the LEQ, that's it, that's it, now bugger off. You know, uh, it's, they, that, that attitude sort of comes around. You don't have the, the passion that was there in its early days. Mm -hmm. perhaps, perhaps because the, the early founders like Jimmy Madden and, and uh, Roger Wilkinson, they were, they, they were the analogue days. And, <laughs> Looking at the needle, and, and they had a passion for it. Yeah. Now it's numbers. It's just numbers. It's it's, it's oh, it's an LEQ of this, and it's a, yeah. But hang on, uh, that, that. we've talked a bit about uh, what it was like in the 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 dawn of acoustics in Australia. What it's sort of been like up to now. What do you think the future of acoustics looks like? I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I see the. I think. I think you need some more life into AAAC, some more passion. Mm. Um, you're not going to get it when you when you're swamped by multi multi discipline firms. Um, and and I think. Probably there's there's a. A number of smaller firms uh, that will end up presenting the multidisciplinary just simply because the outlook's different. That, right. That, 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 different, that, different interests are a little different. Yeah. 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 Um, so I, I've it it hasn't it hasn't worried me, but I've seen it. Mm. Yeah. So. Now going from what the future of acoustics looks like, what does the future hold for you? You've uh, now handed over some of the day-to-day -day responsibility for, for PKA to Joel Perry Jones, who's... Well, I've, I've, I've basically handled, uh, handed over a, a substantial part mm. of it. Um, let's face it, I need a rest. I have yeah. pushed myself too much. Yeah. Uh, I do need a rest. And Charles a very capable. Oh, very, guy. very he's, bright lad. And very. He's, he's been with PKA all of, all of his career. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly, he's, he's PKA to the bone. Um, I guess you're looking to spend more time at your vineyard and a uh, little less time behind the computer. Hi. Is there anything you still want to do or achieve in acoustics or? No. No, that, that's that's probably you, you've probably asked an important question. I've achieved everything. That's yeah. that's the trouble. I've achieved it, and I don't get satisfaction in curing a, a, a mechanical noise problem or all those sort of things. I've, I've done it so many times before. I guess the challenge is gone. Mm. Uh, I'm not likely to get a concert hall now. It's something I realise. 
Um, but not to worry, I've, I've, I've done some very good hauls. And, and I've, done, I've done some hauls. I mean, I did the haul at, at Orange. That was Titch Ed. Mm-hmm. And it sounds lovely. Right. And, and you know, it was, it was having that knowledge of how to turn... Uh, <laughs> how to make the best of a small budget. That's right. <laughs> That's... Yeah. I've done all those things. Um, and, I, and I've certainly been in the forefront and, and, and uh, with, with Joel's assistance, you know, where we've got now walls complying with the BCA that's only 145 mil thick and, and, with, and, and giving discontinuous construction. I, I, I'm a great believer in continuous discontinuous because mm-hmm. it solves a lot of problems, makes the designing so much easier for the architects and everything. So that's all been done. Um, and DBA, I hate DBA. So does Pierre Brule. Uh, um, you know, uh, Brule said if, if now realising what he knows, yeah. he would have never put DBA on his metres. <laughs> Hides all manner of sins. Yeah, it does. It does. And it just... It, it, it takes... Well, anyway, look, that's... Uh, so, having had a longer career in acoustics in Australia than just about anyone and being there from just about the start, what advice would you give to someone starting out now in acoustics? I, I have a horrible feeling that they're going to be replaced by computers. In other words, artificial intelligence. Yeah. I was very lucky. I was able. I was able to touch acoustics. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I can see it's in a lot of things we thought was our specialty. Well, you start to look at what they're using artificial intelligence for, and uh, no, I, I think enjoying acoustics is short, short term. Mm. But, you know, I could be proven wrong. Um, I know... It's got to happen every now and then. Yeah. But you... See, what I miss in in the earlier days when I was dealing with the top architects, we had these one... and, 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 And on the Opera House, we had these wonderful sessions gathered round the drawing board, the mechanical engineer, the structural engineer, all that, yeah. hydraulics, gathered round the drawing board and, and can we do this? I, I want to break, take that through here. Now it's... And, and the, it was... It, it was, was solving not, problems as a group. As a group, team. yeah, and, 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 and it was worthwhile. Then the uh, project managers came in and I think basically that was a at least a 75% backward step, in my modest opinion. <laughs> um, but now we're so, so computerised and everything, nobody's getting up. You're wondering what the significance of that is. I, I make sure that I'm, I'm not sitting down any more than about 10 minutes and I get up and mm. get a cup of tea or do something or yeah. walk. Yeah. Uh, but... That's the problem for the future people. I, I, I shouldn't be worrying about them, just making sure that I'm getting up. <laughs> uh, but I, I think we could be... I think we could be replaced pretty soon, sooner than we would like. You didn't come here to hear that. <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's a pretty amazing career that you've had so far. It's still a little to come. Perhaps, but uh, it's um, you've achieved an amazing amount. So it has been a great pleasure to talk to you, Pat. Oh, thank, thank you, Matthew. Thank you very much. Well, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, if you have any feedback or comments or questions, you can send me an email at talkingacoustics at gmail.com. For more information on PKA or to get in touch with Peter, you can visit pka.com.au. Next episode, I catch up with someone at a very different stage in their career, Gillian Lee. Uh, Jill is a musician, producer and acoustic consultant with a passion for the acoustics of recording studios. 
and the preservation of the modern live music scene in Melbourne.